Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Please be seated. Some of you... I know are very handy. You can build and construct and you can make things and fix things with the work of your own hands. And in many ways, I admire you and am jealous. The Lord has gifted me in many ways, but being handy is not one of them. My wife usually grimaces when I tell her that I'm going to do a few projects around the house. She usually knows what that entails. Recently, we purchased a new dishwasher, and not wanting to pay the extra fee for them to install it, I did it myself, and I'm proud to say that we do have a functioning dishwasher in our house. It perhaps took three to four times longer than what most of you would take to do such a task as that, but it is accomplished, and every time I look at those clean dishes, I (laughs) admire them. And say to my wife, look at how clean these dishes are. <laughs> to which she usually responds, great, now you can put them away. <laughs> but that is the extent of my building and my constructing. It is very, very limited, which is a, a good thing. But what Peter is saying here is that through the Lord Jesus Christ and through his spirit, the Lord is built. And the Lord is building a glorious and precious structure. Not that of bricks and mortar, but that of his own church. And he's building a, another temple, so to speak. A living temple with living stones, and those stones are you and me. And he's building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that church is precious. We might not think of the church as being precious But the Lord surely does. To him it is precious and valuable. Enough that he would give his only son for her. And through Christ, we individually, we collectively, we are becoming a part of that which he is doing. That which he is building. And he is doing so with his stones, And namely with his chief stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in three points 
this morning. Christ, the essential stone, the dividing stone, and the uniting stone. First, Christ is the essential stone. And I want to begin this week where I left off last week. Last week I told you that in Matthew 16, Jesus changes the name of Simon to Peter. And he does so in response to that question that Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter, not always known to give the right answer, gives the right answer there. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, blessed not because you gave the right answer, but blessed because, as he goes on to say, for this was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, this was divinely revealed to you. It was a supernatural work that has taken place in your life. Theologically, we know this to be the work of regeneration when the blinders fall off and we are able to see spiritually, we are able to see Christ for who He is, that He is the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God. And not just that, but that He is my Savior. That He is my Messiah. He is my Lord. He is my Deliverer from my sin, from my rebellion. And this may or may not have been an event in your life. You may or may not know an actual time or place where this regeneration took place or where you came to faith. Perhaps it was a slow development. When it happened is not important. That it happened is extremely important. And so the very fact that you can sit here this morning and then ask By Christ himself, who do you say that I am? To be able to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that you are my Christ, is a work of God. And Christ says that you are blessed. Blessed because this was not revealed to you by something that you did, by your own knowledge, by your own understanding, but this was revealed to you by your Father in heaven. And on that occasion when Peter gave that testimony, that confession, as I said, Jesus changes his name and says that you will be called Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And from that point on he becomes known as Peter. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this day, something similar has happened to you. Not perhaps having a name change, but you have had an identity change. According to Peter, if you are a believer in Christ, on that day of regeneration, you too became a rock. You too became a Peter. A living stone. That your life was built upon the true rock, the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, you see that aspect of what God is doing and what God is building. And as Peter reads the scriptures now, now that Jesus has changed his name, he sees his name everywhere. And in fact, Peter quotes three scriptures from the Old Testament, two from Isaiah and one from the Psalms, where it talks about rocks and talks about stones. It's almost like Peter is infatuated with now finding his name in the scriptures. My daughter, who is 
now just beginning to read, the youngest, loves to find her name everywhere and always wants to point it out and says, see, Daddy, look, there's my name. That's, in a sense, what Peter is doing here as he reads through the Scripture. He sees stones everywhere. The first one is in Isaiah 28, 16. He's laying a foundational stone, an essential stone, a corner stone. And all those that believe in him, as it says, will never be put to shame. But as Peter goes on to say, that they will have honor. Their lives will be built upon that rock. And as a result, their lives will never crumble, will never fall. That their life will essentially never be taken from them because their life is now one and the same with that true and essential rock, the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter goes on to say that is not the case for all. For Christ is not only the essential stone, but he is the dividing stone. He goes on to quote Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Notice it's the stone that the builders have rejected or discarded. Seen as nothing. Seen as something that can be disposed of. Like building waste or scrap lumber. That we don't need this. We can throw it away. Yesterday we had a church work day and there was many things, if you see out in the dumpster, that were tossed. Because we said, we don't need that anymore. That is no good. Dispose of it. And what Peter is saying here, quoting the psalmist, is that that is how they treated the Lord Jesus Christ. As if he was nothing. As if he was something that was no good, that must be discarded and taken away. That he was seen as a problem. And that is how he was treated during his days upon this earth, by the Pharisees and the leaders of the day, that he was a problem that had to be dealt with. And indeed they did, did they not? Through the means of execution, through the means of crucifixion. And yet what Peter is saying here, quoting the psalmist, is that the divine Lord, using the sinful desires and plan of men, Use that rejected stone, that discarded stone, namely death and crucifixion, to be the means by which Christ becomes the essential stone, the cornerstone, by which the means that he fulfills his purpose of salvation. And so Jesus Christ is that essential stone, but at the same time, Christ is that dividing stone. He's the one that divides humanity. And there is no other name in earth that is as divisive as the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned to you last week, we just returned from a trip. And I had to take a taxi ride, a a lift. And my driver was a recent immigrant from Afghanistan. And so I asked him if he was a Muslim, and he was. And I told him that I was a a Christian and a a pastor. 
And he went on to say, well, in the end, I believe that we all worship the same God. I said to him, the difference is, though, I believe Jesus is God. He wanted to, as so many do, want to make all of these things equal. All of these things as of no difference. Nothing that divides, only that which unites. But Jesus automatically becomes the dividing point, does he not? He becomes, as that third quotation says in Isaiah 8, 14, he becomes a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Not that we necessarily want to offend, not that we necessarily want to divide, but because what we believe is necessary to come unto faith. We must believe who Jesus truly is in order for us to come to salvation. So we can't diminish these things without diminishing Jesus Christ and ultimately diminishing salvation. Do you understand? And this driver said to me, well, I I believe he was a prophet. And as I said to him, well, Jesus said he was God, though. So he's either who he said he was or he's a false prophet. You must believe one or the other. You can't be neutral. Jesus says you're either for me or you are for against, you're against me. There is no neutral ground when it comes to Christ. Christ automatically divides. And that's not just true of Muslims. That's true of all. And for most to say Jesus is God is too much. Too hard to accept. To say Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through Christ. Well, that's just too exclusive for our culture. But we see that that's exactly the stone of stumbling. The rock of offense. That that is the stone either of belief or that of that which you're going to trip over. That which you can believe or that which you cannot believe because it's too much. No doubt you have seen that in your own life, in your own relationships, perhaps with family members or those that you walk, work with, live with in your community. People will talk about God very easily, but bring up the name of Jesus and it's like the music comes to a halt, does it not? And yet, Acts chapter 4 says, There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so we must believe in Jesus, in who he is, in who he is revealed to be in the scriptures. And as we have said in Matthew 16, this is only revealed from above. So how about those that do not believe? Well, Peter goes on to say something that is quite hard for us to swallow. He says in verse 8, the end of verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Who are the they there? Well, it's very clearly from verse 7, those who do not believe. They do not believe because they stumble on Christ. But as he says, that was their destiny to do. We might even go as far to say that is what they were predestined 
to do. And that is something oftentimes hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to comprehend. And I am right there with you. And as I confess the truth of that scripture, I don't confess to you that I know it completely. But it is there. And we can't diminish it. We can't reduce it. We can't try to change it. We must believe it for what it says. When I was in college, I was known as a Calvinist, probably too much so. And some would come to me and ask, how is it that I could, I could believe this? And I would take them to different scriptures, scriptures like this. And there's one gentleman that I, I took him to a passage like this and I told him to read it and he began to read it and I told him to read it out loud and he began to read it out loud and as he went further in that verse his voice began to fall until he stopped reading and I don't think I convinced him because I think he thought surely that doesn't mean what it says and that's probably how we read this verse as well well I'm not quite sure that means what I think it means, but it's hard for us for it to mean anything other than what it says. That's just a good reminder to us that we need to allow the truth to be the truth and our thoughts and our emotions to be our thoughts and to be our emotions, not confuse the two, to be reminded that he is God and that we are not, that he does all that he pleases And what he pleases is perfect. Because it's according to his perfect character. But let me clarify just a bit, even as we confess the truth of this. Everyone is held accountable for their own rejection of Jesus Christ. If you're with us in Sunday school, we talked about this a little bit. That the scriptures hold up at the same time, simultaneously, human responsibility and divine sovereignty. And they go perfectly together. How? I don't know. But we can confess that it is not a contradiction, but it is truly above our comprehension. And that is true of this verse as well. Everyone who is in hell and ever will be, is there by their own volition. No one will be unjustly in hell. That hell is not unfair. That hell is very much the manifestation of fairness. It's what our sins deserve. It's what we deserve. And yet at the same time, we say that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in sending Someone to hell. But at the same time, we do not say God's justice and punishment are unfair. No, they are just and they are right. If we want to say anything is unfair, it's heaven that is not fair. Not fair in the sense that the only perfect Son of God gave His life for us. And He did so willingly. So that we may graciously be saved. He took hell so that we may have heaven. He took death so that we may have life. That's the part that is unfair, unfair to Christ and what he has done for us. And so as Paul says 
Should we say that there is any unrighteousness or unfairness in God? Certainly not. Rather, God says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whomever I have compassion. So let us not impugn God or his character. And let us not go to either one of the extremes. Let's say, well, what I do does not matter because God has so sovereignly preordained everything that comes to pass that I am, in a sense, off the hook. At the same time, let us not go to the other extreme and say, well, it's all up to me. I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own soul. Both of those are equally wrong. We uphold God's sovereignty and human responsibility at the same time. And it is our privilege as a church to preach the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners, as the only way to the Father, as the means of salvation. That you would believe in Him this day. And you can respond in two different ways. You can either be offended or you can come unto faith. And my prayer this day is that everyone that would hear my voice would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That this day, perhaps for the first day, that Jesus would go from being the stumbling block, the stumbling stone, the rock of offense, to the essential stone, the cornerstone in your life. The one in whom you cannot live without. That you would recognize this day that he upholds you, that he sustains you. That without him, you would be nothing. Perhaps before this day you thought, well, Jesus is just for those that are weak. Jesus is just a crutch. Let me tell you that you are wrong. Oh, he's much more than a crutch. He is life support. Without him, we do not live or move or have our being. That Without him, we cannot even begin to draw in the first breath. My prayer this day was that you would breathe for the first time that breath of freedom, that breath of newness of life, the breath of forgiveness of sins, that you would be made right with God, that you would believe this day that God is not against you but for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. That you would believe, that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is a friend and redeemer of sinners. He has come to redeem us. You would not be unnecessarily offended, but that you'd be offended enough in your own sin to come to faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Because third, then, he becomes not only the dividing stone, but the uniting stone. And it may be Seem odd that he could be both, but indeed he is. That once Jesus goes from being a stumbling stone to the essential cornerstone, then he becomes that which unites us together. and becomes that which we talked about last week. That we become a part of what God is building, that God is building his church. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when he changed his name. You are Peter, and on this Rock, I will build my church. Christ is building his church. And he is pleased to use you and me to be a part of it. What a beautiful demonstration of that this morning. 
as we came to the waters of baptism. As this family is joined together with you, as one family, the family of God. This week is the very end I got to say to them, you are my brother. You are my sister. And if that doesn't bring tears to your eyes, then you don't understand what Christ is doing and what Christ is doing through his church and what a privilege it is to be a part of it. To see what he is building. To see how he uses people from all sorts of different backgrounds. That's a part of his working and a part of his building. That he can use those who have come from different cultures, that are different races, that are different skin colors, that are different genders, all to make something great and beautiful. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're all, no matter how different we are, we are all united in one thing that is preeminent above all else. We are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're built upon him. We are built to have faith in him. And that unity is precious and beautiful. Why? Because Jesus is precious and beautiful. He is the chosen cornerstone. And that in us, in him, we too are now chosen and are made precious and beautiful in his sight. I hope this day you once again value the church and see what the Lord is doing through his church. Both the big church with the capital C as well as this church, your church. And may he lead us to do even greater works for his glory. I'll finish with this. Legend has it that the king of ancient Sparta said to a a visiting king the strength of Sparta is its walls and that visiting king looked around and didn't see any walls the king of Sparta seeing his confusion says we have a wall of men not of bricks referring to their military strength And that is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never think of the church as this building. Never has been, never will be. The church is the people. Each one of you are a brick. God is building together something beautiful and glorious. And we have a building, a wall of men and women, of boys and girls, that together, brick by brick, together we are becoming the church. Not individually, collectively. United and built together. And so I hope this day that you would have the eyes to see what Christ is doing and what he is building. Because what he is building is glorious. What he is building is precious. And he's using you and me to be a part of it. And our prayer this day is that he would use us all the more. That we would be that spiritual dwelling in which he dwells. That we would be those holy priesthoods. That we would offer up those spiritual sacrifices. That would be acceptable to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray.
Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are great and glorious and good. We thank you for all that you are doing in and through us. Lord, what a marvelous day it has been. To once again be reminded of all those things that we so quickly forget. Of your grace and mercy, of your salvation, of how you have done work in us and how you're continuing to work and how you will work in the future. Lord, may we never doubt, may we never lose confidence, but that you would strengthen us, that you would give us greater boldness, greater courage to ask for more, that you would give us the ability, oh Lord, by your spirit, to do greater work. All for your glory and all for your praise, we ask. We pray in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.